I'd like to be able to tell you that uh, I got a title for what we're going to talk about today. I'd like to tell you that I got a definite scripture of where we're going to go today, but I, I don't have either one of those things. Uh, but I can tell you at some point in time, we're going to end up in Hebrews 9. Okay, but uh, let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Father God, we come to you, Lord, and, and Father, we thank you that we have already heard your voice this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have been here uh, ministering to your people, speaking to your people. And Father, right now, I just pray that, that we would just hear your voice. Lord, that we would, uh, that we would learn something from you uh, this morning, Father. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would just uh, bring your Holy Spirit into this room. Uh, because we, he is our ultimate teacher, and uh, we can't learn without him. So, Father, we just pray that you would just be here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're not even going to read that scripture that I just told you right now. Um, we're going to get to that at some point. Uh, but I really wanted to, uh, to talk about something today, and, and I'm going to warn you ahead of time, uh, this, this may be something that you have to listen to a couple times before, you, before it clicks, um, because honestly, it hadn't, uh, it hadn't clicked in my mind until uh, Joel's Bible study on Wednesday nights. He's really been, uh, he's been bringing it the last few weeks, and some of the stuff that we've been talking about has uh, really brought revelation, uh, some really deep revelation to me. And uh, it's really like, so I have this big picture, and uh, it seems like scriptures that I've studied over, you know, several years that they all just have clicked together. And uh, so I hope that through this that you guys can understand what, I am, uh, what I'm relaying to you. Um, but so we're going to kind of start uh, around Genesis. Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. And if, if you're writing stuff down, I would kind of mark those, these scriptures that I'm going to talk about and uh, go back and read them and see if you can put the pieces uh, together that we're going to talk about today. Um, and also, if you're not involved in a Wednesday night class, Man, I'd encourage you to do so. If you're not involved, plugged into one of those, you're missing out big time. And there's some really good classes going on right now, so I'd encourage you guys to do that as well. But uh, so in, uh, in the beginning, right, Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created man. And it says in, in the scriptures that God walked through the garden in the cool of, in the, cool of the day, Right? He was walking with his people, talking with his people, fellowshipping with his people. And uh, eventually, something kind of came to, uh, to hinder them. And I'm sure that you guys have all studied uh, you know, Genesis quite a bit. And these scriptures that we're going to talk about, well, we're going to put them all together. But the real question that I want to ask you before I kind of jumped ahead, before we get started, why did Jesus die on the cross? Somebody tell me, why? Forgive our sins. That's, that's exactly the answer that I was looking for. Okay, we say this all the time, that Jesus came to forgive our sins, which is absolutely true. But it's not the only reason that he came. And we're going to go through these scriptures, and we're going to figure out exactly why Jesus came. Because I tell you what, he didn't die on the cross 2,000 years ago for you to have a 401k plan whenever you die. Okay? He didn't just die to forgive uh, your sins on the day that you die, but he, he died on the cross for right here and right now in this moment right here. And so we're going to talk about that. So back on what we were saying, Adam and Eve, right? They're walking in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. 
And uh, what happens is, is uh, Eve was deceived, right? She was uh, walking in the garden, and God only gave them one rule, one thing that they couldn't do, and it was they couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge. And, uh, you know, we think now, well, it's kind of human nature that, uh, that she ate of the tree, right? Like, growing up, you know, my dad would tell me one thing not to do, and what would I focus on doing that one thing that he told me not to do? So we think about that being human nature, right? We think that's just how we are. But I don't think that's how it was in the beginning. Because it didn't say that Eve just walked up to the tree on her own and took of it and, and, and ate it. But she had to be tricked and deceived and led into doing this thing. And once she uh, committed that sin, then she convinced Adam to do the same thing. And then now we have the sin problem, right? And because they did that, what happened? God drove him out of the garden. And one thing that, uh, that Joel was talking about in his, uh, his study is we've been going through uh, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And we got to talking about in the prodigal son that how in, uh, in Jewish culture, what happened is, is that the son comes in and says, uh, Father, I want my inheritance, and I'm going to go do my own thing. Which in their culture meant, Father, I wish that you were dead, and I want my share of my things, and I'm going to go take off and do my own thing. And what should have happened in that story is that the father should have went up to the son, and he should have hit him. And he shouldn't have hit him with his right hand, but his left hand, because it was worse. And not the front hand, but the back of his hand, because that was worse. That was the, the worst form of, get out of my face. And he would have sent him out of his house. But instead, what happens? The father sells half of his things and gives it to his son, and he walks away. And here in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve do the same thing. They say, God, I don't want the relationship that we have. I think that this is more important. I I, I want this. And there we have sin, right? And what the father had every right to do in that moment, it says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And in that moment, God had every reason that he could have just struck them down right then and killed them and it would have been done with. That's what they deserved. But instead, they were cast out of the garden instead. And, uh, and really, we see them being sent out of the garden as their punishment. But them being sent out of the garden was grace. Because God didn't just finish it right there. But like a, but like a father who has a, a son that wants nothing to do with him. I can see Adam and Eve walking out of the garden with God standing in the garden behind them as they're walking out of the gate and him saying, this isn't over yet. This isn't over yet. Because if he wanted to, it, it should have been finished right there. It should have been done. But instead, they were shown grace. A grace that they didn't deserve. And really, what it comes down to is what we have perceived wrong in our mind is why the father was upset. Was it that they ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to? Or was it... See, we, we talk about things like uh, Kent has a really good saying for baptism. You know, baptism is an outward sign of an inward work that's going on inside of you. 
And sin is the same thing. It's an outward sign of something that's happened in your heart. And so really what the problem is here, it isn't that they, it isn't necessarily the sin that they did, but it was the fact that they then thought this was more important than their relationship with the father. So now there's, just like in the prodigal son, there should have been a disconnect between the father and the son. And uh, we were, there was this uh, video that I watched the other day and they were talking about how, um, like what actually happened during Jewish time if, if a father sent uh, the son out in this kind of disrespect, right? If the son came in and said, I want all of the inheritance. What the father should have done, you know, like we said, drove him out of the house. And there was someone who said that this actually happened in their family uh, because they still uh, lived in that culture. And they said that it took five years for the father and the son to be in the same room again. They had to negotiate both of them trying to get them to be together again. And it's a really tedious deal. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, imagine that if, if you walked up to your father and said, I wish you were dead, I want all of my things. And that's what's happening here. But uh, see, we say that our problem a lot of times is, is sin, right? We say that, that our problem is all of the stuff that we do wrong all the time, but we're looking at it in the wrong light. You see, we call God a jealous God, and I'm, that's right, but he is a loving God, right? He wants to be with his people. And the reason that he is saying not to sin isn't uh, necessarily because of those things, but it's also because of the reason that our heart is at a disconnect from the Father. And uh, we choose those things over him. And his heart hurts like a father whose son wants nothing to do with him. And one of the issues that we have in our, uh, in the way that we do things today is that we, just like the response that you all gave when I asked why Jesus died, the, the obvious answer was that he came to forgive our sin. But see, there's so much more to it than that. Because what you see here in this passage of scripture is that the sin isn't necessarily the problem, but it's the heart of the one who's committing the sin. It's the one who has, who has walked away from the Father. And so if we, uh, if we move forward in time a little bit, uh, you're going to be somewhere around Exodus 24, 25-ish, uh, all the way to around 33. Time goes on as Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. All of the, uh, all of the kids or, and all the people start multiplying. They start filling the earth. And... Uh, so there's this people, right, that God has claimed as his own. And this people is, is by the name of Israel, right? And in Exodus 25-ish, or actually a little before that, we find God's people in slavery to Egypt. And the problem here is, or not, I guess not problem, but God says that he is going to bring his people out of slavery, out of captivity, and he's going to bring them to this land that he has promised them. And in Exodus 25, we find God, uh, God and his people at Mount Sinai, right? And we, and we find Moses uh, up on top of the mountain seeking after God. And what does God give him? 
He gives him the Ten Commandments. And he doesn't just give him this list of rules uh, that they should follow, but what God establishes here is a covenant with his people. He establishes a promise with his people. And what he wants from his people is he wants this nation of Israel, he wants them to be this, this sanctified and set apart people. He wants them to be the nation that the whole world looks to, to see what God looks like. He wants them to be a nation of priests, a holy nation, a people set apart for nothing more than God and his purpose. And, you know, they get the Ten Commandments and everything, but obviously we still have our, our sin problem and they can't keep those commandments. You see Israel all through the years, you see them follow God for a little while and then not follow God for a really long time and then waver back to him and then waver back from him. And they never really got a good concept of what God was calling them to do. But that idea is still there, that he is calling his people to be a nation of priests that the whole world looks to, to see what God looks like. And uh, things looked a little, bit, uh, a little bit different back then, right? So if you want to go ahead and, and open up to Hebrews 9, we're going to see a little bit of of what worship looked like back then. Hebrews 9.1 That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. And the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. There was a curtain and behind the curtain was a second room called the Most Holy Place. And that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed with gold, gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and a stone tablet of the covenant. Above the Ark were a cherubim of divine glory, those wings stretched out over the ark's cover and place of the atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest entered the most holy place, and only once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the, the people that they committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices for these priests offer, or sorry, offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So back then it looked a little bit different, right? Whenever uh, they committed sin, they ha there had to be a sacrifice. They had to go outside the city and sacrifice an animal and bring it into this place, right? So, so we, have, we have two rooms. The first room is, is the holy place. This is the place where the priests... God's people were. 
And then on the, in the other room, we have the most holy place, which is where God is. And in between, we have this giant curtain that runs in between keeping God from his people. Because in, when Adam and Eve committed the sin in the Garden of Eden, they were no longer face to face with God. Because God cannot look on sin. And so these people, uh, God and his people were completely separated. And so it, it worked a little bit differently back then for them uh, to, uh, to be clean, to be, get their, their sin forgiven, I guess, for lack of a better word. And uh, whenever I was thinking about all of these things, right, there's a, there's a connection between all the way from Genesis into that part of Exodus to where we're sitting right now in the gospel. Because we say that Jesus only came to forgive sin, but he came to do a whole lot more than that. You're getting ready to see it come to pass here. So what happens is, is right, so we have the most holy place and we have the place where, uh, where God's people are. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this and God, I don't understand what you're trying to say here. And he reminded me of a scripture in Luke 23. And Luke 23 is whenever Jesus is pinned on the cross and he says to God, God, I give you my spirit. And it says the curtain in the temple was torn. Did you get that? The curtain in the temple was torn. That, that's saying right there that Christ, since he was perfect and he was blameless and he was sacrificed on the cross, he became, and he was even sacrificed outside the city just like they did the animals in the Old Testament. He was sacrificed, was the perfect sacrifice that was offered up into the most holy place that's actually in heaven. He went into heaven, into the most holy place as the perfect sacrifice and as our high priest. And therefore the curtain between God and his people was torn. I was going to give you an example, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to put a big curtain up here. But I was going to put Taylor on one side and me on the other. And there's, there's this curtain in between the two of us. And it's not until Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that ripped down the curtain and allowed me to not only see through the curtain to look on God, but now I can also walk into the presence of God and be with him. You see, the, the problem all along isn't necessarily the sin, but it's the, the disconnect between the Father and the Son, the Father and his people. And you see, Christ is the one who went to the Father as the perfect sacrifice who covered your sin, which then allows you to go and to be with the Father. Now, let me explain how this works. You know, we, we teach all the time that, uh, that you have to obey all of these rules to be a Christian, right? If you're not doing these things, then, then you're not really a Christian. And you see, by that mentality, we're still living by the old law. We're saying that there is something that Lannon can do. There's something that one of you can do that makes you good enough to receive grace. You see, whenever Christ came, he was that perfect sacrifice, and he was an extended grace, a costly grace that we never deserved in the first place. You see, we should have ended back in the Garden of Eden, but not only did he show us grace then, but then he sends his own son to die on the cross to fulfill this purpose. And we're going to see how that comes to light here, because 
the reason that Christ had to do that. He had to go and to cover your sin so that you could be with the Father, right? Our God is not one time holy, not two times holy, but three times holy God. And he wants his people to be holy. He cannot look on sin. So Christ had to cover your sin so you can go and be in the presence of the Father and then therefore look more like him. Because you see, it was never about your sin in the first place. It was about a heart that wasn't with the Father because I can tell you right now, who you hang out with is going to reflect how you look and how you act and what you do. And it's the same for Christ. The more time that you spend in the presence of God, the more time that you spend in his most holy place, spending time with him is the more that you're going to look like him. And we have a disconnect because we say, Landon, I got to get rid of this uh, addiction to porn. I got to get rid of this lust. I got to get rid of this drug addiction. I got to do all these things before I'm even worthy to come into the church, before I'm worthy to come before a God who gave me grace. But see, <laughs> that's pride. And I tell you that I, I have it too. We say, well, you know, if I, uh, if I mess up, You know, I got to wait three days before I can pray to God again. You know, we punish ourselves. We say, I'm not worthy to go pray to God today. I'm not worthy of his blessing today. But you see, you were extended grace from the very beginning that you never deserved. And it's foolish of us to think that there is something that we can do that makes us worthy of that grace are worthy of being able to go into the most holy place that God uh, desperately wants us to be in. You see, in, in the story of the prodigal son, the father ran to his people. He ran to the son, right? And in this one parable, the lost sheep, the lost coin, And the parable of the prodigal son is all one. They were asking Jesus why he was sitting at the table with sinners. And if you read those, it says this is his response. Not his response is, his response. One. You see, the lost sheep had to be found. The lost coin had to be found. But the prodigal son just returns home? Uh Uh-uh. And I challenge you to read those stories because there's a lot more to it than what I'm telling you. But the son wasn't looking for, he wasn't trying to make the relationship right again with his father. He was going there to uh, get himself some food and set himself up. But the father scooped him up. And the relationship was reconciled. And because of that, he was welcomed into the father's house. Are you with me? But you see now, now that Jesus has paid the price, what I left out is, and I should have said it, what I left out is whenever Jesus was accused of eating with sinners, which were considered unclean during that time, and then he gave uh, the parable of the lost sheep and lost coin and the prodigal son, what he was saying is, is that if you think this is bad, me sitting here eating with these sinners, I'm not even close to being done yet. 
I'm going to turn over every rock. I'm going to look under every bush, and I'm going to constantly pursue my people even if it costs me because I want my people back home. And you see, in the story of the prodigal son, we always see uh, the son coming home and falling on his knees in front of the father, but it's opposite. It was disrespectful or considered, uh, considered a form of disrespect if, if an elder during that time ran. And what's it say the father did? He took off running whenever he saw his son, and he falls down, and he says, I'm so glad you're home. Come back home. And you see, we have a Jesus who came and was the perfect sacrifice who carried that cross until he fell on his knees in a form of costly grace that now lets his people be one with the Father again. And see, because of what he did, because he was the perfect sacrifice in the most holy place, now we can be face to face with God again. Now we can be with God again. And now that we are able to be in God's presence again, we can go to the Father and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I want you. I want to be with you no matter what, no matter the cost. I will serve you. I want to be in your presence and I, and I want to delight in your house. I want to be back in the Father's house again. I was wrong for running away. And once you reconcile that relationship, that's when everything changes. Because you're going to start seeing things a little bit differently whenever you reconcile that relationship. Whenever that relationship's whole again. You see all those, all those sins that we were talking about being caught up in, you're going to start to view those a little bit differently now too. Because now we realize that our problem originally wasn't the things that we're doing wrong, but it was that our, our heart was away from the Father. But now that our heart's with the Father, we realize that those things hurt the Father, hurt our relationship with the Father, and splits us apart. And so now you say, I don't want to get rid of this uh, addiction because I'm worried about what people think of me. I want to get rid of this addiction because it's hurting my relationship with God. And it changes the way that we view things. And I think there's enough people, uh, we have enough studies on John Bevere that everyone in here has probably set in on one of his studies at one point in time. But whenever uh, Taylor and I went to Tulsa and, and Nick and Jill uh, went too, whenever we were at Tulsa, John Bevere starts talking about, uh, he, whenever he was in the ministry, he was addicted to pornography. And uh, he said that he just couldn't get rid of it. And he didn't know what uh, what the problem was, but I guess there was a guy by the name of Lester Summerall and uh, who was a, if you wanted, he said if you wanted delivered from something back then, you went to Lester Summerall. And he said that he had picked him up to take him to a church conference and he said that he opened up to him and he said that he rebuked him like a good father is what he, is what he says. But he said that he, Lester Summerall put his hand on his head and said a really strong prayer. And he goes, you know what happened? Nothing. But a few, uh, few weeks or months later, he went uh, to a cabin for a few days to fast and to pray. And uh, during this time, he was set free from pornography. And he asked God, he said, God, why, 
Why did you set me free now and not whenever I opened up to Lester Summerall? I, I opened up to him. And he goes, because then you were worried about losing your ministry and not worried about how your sin was affecting your relationship with me. Because we're looking at this the wrong way. We have this issue of not that we're doing all these sins, but that our heart is away from the Father. Because the more time that you spend with the holy, holy, holy God, the more holy that you're going to be. And see, we have it on two ends of the spectrum, right? We, we teach that you have to do all these things to be saved, but there's also a whole other branch of people that say, you know, by grace you're saved and you can do whatever you want. And both are wrong. Because once you reconcile that relationship with the Father, you start seeing your sin in a little different light. And whenever you continue to do those things, you know the consequences for those actions. That your relationship with your Father is going to be hindered because you're choosing all these things instead of the one thing that He is. Are you guys hearing me? Are you out there still? Okay, good. I was making sure no one left or fell asleep. But I'm telling you, if you get a hold of what I'm telling you right now, it's going to change the way that you live. And you see, so we went from Genesis, we went into Exodus, where God called his people and the calling that he gave him. And now we're, we're after Christ went in and it was now the perfect sacrifice. Now we're going to flip it back and go back into Exodus again. Because you see, the calling that he put on his people, the calling of, I need you to be a nation of priests. I want you to be the nation that the whole world looks to to see what God looks like. You see, God took them from Mount Sinai and took them into this promised land, Israel, right? It's a physical country now, but that is God's people, right? And we stand with Israel. But you see, once you accept Christ, you become a part of his holy priesthood of his nation of priests that the whole world looks to to see what God looks like. And we have to say, now that Christ has paid the price and gone into the most holy place that we could walk and be with God, now we have to go to the Father and we have to tell the Father, look, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I want to be a part of your kingdom again. I want to be a part of that nation of priests that you're calling. I want to be the nation that the whole world looks to to see what God looks like. And I want to do your will. And you see, I was, I don't have it yet because my wife hasn't made it for me. Uh, but I wanted her to make a, a blue and white bracelet that I would wear. And and the reason is, during Joel's class, we were talking about uh, the tassels uh, that they would have on the, the bottom of their robe that would, uh, they hang down and they're blue and white, and they hit their feet whenever they walk. And that tassel was a reminder that they were a part of that holy priesthood, that they were a part of God's own special possession. And so that in everywhere that they went and everything that they did, they could still feel that tassel hitting them. And they knew what they were supposed to be doing. And see, I want one, uh, just put like a blue and white bracelet on my, on my wrist 
just so that in everything that I do, anything that I touch, I see that first. Anything that I pick up, like you pick up your phone and start to text somebody, I see that first. Because you see, I, I don't care if you're uh, the priest over the Catholic Church. I don't care if you're a pastor in one of these churches. I don't care if you're just an ordinary Barton County resident. The temptation is the same. And whenever you make a decision to say, God, I want to be a part of your priesthood, it's going to set you free from a lot of different things that you're dealing with. And whenever you take on and say, God, I am yours, all the other stuff just kind of falls into place, into perspective. Because you see, once you do that, that's whenever the scripture comes to life. The scripture comes to life inside of you. We talked about a few of them last time that I spoke, but we talked about, you know, like the the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave is the same spirit that dwells in you. You see, that spirit comes to life whenever you say, God, I am yours, and I'm going to be a part of your holy priesthood. I'm going to be a part of your own special possession. And in everything that I do, and in everything that I touch, and every place that I go, everywhere that I walk, I'm going to represent your character. And you see, we uh, condemn people sometimes for you know, struggling with different sins or whatever. And I, I'm not telling you that you're not going to struggle with stuff. But we uh, reject people for certain sins that they're dealing with, but they just may have not spent as much time with the Father as someone else. They're at a different place in their walk than you are. But I promise you that if you encourage them and you keep them pushing in the right direction as we, like Jim said, that we're a unified body of believers pushing each other in the right direction. As a result, we're all going to become more holy. We're all going to start to resemble God's character. Because you can watch. When someone accepts Christ and starts running after him, you can watch Christ literally come on to somebody. I've seen it so many times. But see, now... For the first time, you know, now uh, God's body of believers has to make a choice. You have to decide if you want to be a part of that priesthood or not. You have to, be, you have to decide if you want to be God's or not. And if you uh, open back up to Hebrews real fast in chapter 10, read verse 19. Hebrews ten nineteen it says, And so now we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, because of the blood of Jesus. You were separated from God, but once you accept Jesus and because of his blood, you now have the opportunity to become one with him again. But it's something that you have to choose and a relationship that you have to reconcile. If the uh, praise team wants to, to come forward, But to uh, re-answer our question that we asked in the beginning, why did Christ come? Again, he didn't just die for a 401k plan. He died so that right now, right here in this place, you have the opportunity to be with God again. You have the opportunity to make your relationship right with God again. And as a result of doing that, it's going to change the course of your life. 
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ before, if you've never uh, said, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe uh, that you are who you say that you are. And you've never walked, <laughs> walked up to God and said, I'm sorry for all the things that I've done and I want to make my relationship right with you again. You need to do that today. Don't leave here today without doing that. But really, as, uh, as a body of believers, this, this uh, subject material has really challenged me and, uh, and really challenged me to uh, conduct myself in a way and in a character uh, that represents God and to be his own special possession. And it reminds me of First uh, Peter 2.9. It says, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special possession. This is your chance right here and right now to make that relationship whole again.